Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. For joining us on the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Around Table discussion, where we aim to discuss the beautiful diversity of the planet as it relates to culture, gender, race, the environment, and of course, travel, logistics, and planning. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you're a regular listener, thank you. So before we jump into the topic today, I briefly want to uh, connect with any travel experts out there, anybody interested in joining the podcast, joining a future Travel Around Table episode, please feel free to reach out to us through our website or via email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. Send us your website, some information, some topics you're interested in discussing, and we'll get you on for a future episode. Let's get into it. But before I do, I want to introduce all of you. So please just give me where you're located, how you're in the travel community in whatever way you're in it, and and where people can find you and reach out to you for more information. So Jules, why don't you kick us off? All right. How you doing? We're Jules and Christine. Uh, we are travel <laughs> bloggers at Don't Forget to Move, where we write about adventure travel and sustainable tourism, and we're also podcasters. Yes, we have a podcast called Not So Bon Voyage, where we share stories of when things go wrong on your travels. And uh, yeah, we've had some great guests. Yeah, so come check it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Amanda and Ryan. Hey, thanks for having us. We're Amanda and Ryan. We're located in Western Canada at the moment, and we are bloggers and podcast hosts from the World Wanders. Wonderful. And we have, and we talked about it briefly before, we've all been on each other's podcasts, we've already <laughs> all met, and so this is going to be a lot of fun. Today's topic is budget travel and backpacking. And so I know the four of you have deep experience doing this. Elliot, you have a little bit of experience doing this. Me, I'm kind of, I think I'm the odd one out because as we've already gone over together, my travel style it does not fit this niche. So I'm here to learn today <laughs> and probably be the one to ask you questions to uh, make you explain how your, your mindset and your budgeting and all that stuff actually works. So Jules, I, I, I'm picking on you because you and I, we do talk uh, on a pretty regular basis. Jules, why don't you uh, get us started? Um, you, when you have a trip in mind, what is like the first step you do towards planning one of these long backpacking type of trips? Oh, we are not the best planners. Then that's the answer. This is going to be really interesting for Bob to learn that you don't have to plan everything to a 15 minute increment. <laughs> yeah. We were probably 100%. like looking at, some, looking at some of the, uh, the questions for this topic. Uh, planning. Hmm. That's a very, planning <laughs> again? Planning again? <laughs> well, uh, well, we are very free flowing. That's, <laughs> that's good because that's, I mean, that's what people can learn from this is that they don't need to plan. They can still do it, right? They, they don't, they can just kind of go on a whim, but there has to be some planning involved, right? You need to make sure some of the money's in place or, or, you know, the opportunity to work while you're traveling is there and things like that. Right. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like we've had two, like two very different experiences with our travels. Like we started off as budget backpackers and that was a lot of what our blog was about as well. Like it was just, how to do like everything the cheapest that you possibly can. And so for us, like it wasn't even a budget planning. It was just like find out the cheapest way to do everything. Like what's the cheapest way that you can eat in a, in a country? What's the cheapest way that you can transport to stay? How can you just stay as long as possible? And then now, like now that we travel is kind of our business, it's a little bit different because a lot of the work trips are paid for and our budget is a little bit different. But back in the day, like our budget backpacking was like, 
Mm-hmm. It was kind of like not super planned, but it was definitely very budget. Yeah, we definitely chose regions that we knew we could travel re- really cheaply. And just for us, it was about stretching our money so we could spend the most amount of time that we possibly could on our trip. So we used to travel for like 10 months out of the year, back budget backpacking. So the first step would be find a cheap flight to a region that we know is inexpensive and just stretch our money as much as possible yeah. every day, basically. Yeah. And part of that budget, I guess <clears throat> to a degree, part of that budget planning was, you know, it, like Christine said, finding a region that was cheap and then sort of having a rough estimate. It's like, how much is a hostel going to cost a night, a night? How much, you know, can we get like a meal? How much is transportation? So like there was, I guess, some probably subconscious planning in that. Um, well, there's so many resources now, right? With bloggers, you can pretty much go on a blog and say, okay, what like people have spreadsheets, people have like really detailed information about how much everything is going to cost in that region or country. So it's pretty easy to kind of get a rough idea. And then from there, it's like we would just go to the country and figure it out and, and just, you know, spend as little money as possible, like down to, you know, making sandwiches. This is not our proudest moment, but just making sandwiches with just mustard and tomato. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we ate, I think we Was ate there any bread? bread? No, bread, yes. I, I <laughs> wasn't think, just squirting the mustard. Tomato, mustard, tomato. We traveled with Tupperware and I'm pretty sure one time we cooked this huge beans and rice and we ate beans and rice for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for at least three days and traveled with this Tupperware. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it always annoyed me when people would be like, oh, you're so lucky you can travel for so long. And it's like, actually, we sacrificed a lot to be able to travel for this length of time, <laughs> i.e. eating beans and rice for four days in a row. And, you know, we enjoyed that lifestyle for a really long time. Yeah. That's that's incredible. It, it, like, so so again, I, I have no experience with that at all. And lucky you. So like, I don't know what you're some, talking about. Some people <laughs> like that. I remember when we were traveling that we were we met somebody who was like staying in a hotel or something, and we were talking about hostels and this person do you remember this yeah this person had no idea about like hostels and he was actually like can i come to your hostel and like see what it's like <laughs> i didn't understand the concept of multiple strangers in the same room together he was like this is the yeah. weirdest thing i've ever heard so he actually came it's, to our hostel just to look at like, how the I, peasants live like, <laughs> where, does, where does the help stay and you're like we're like well we're it actually this is us all of us we're in it together <laughs> it's pretty funny that's it, it's funny thinking about the difference between uh, my mentality and how you guys travel. So the questions, some of the, what, the questions that I'm looking at right now is, do you track your expenses in a spreadsheet? And that's the way my mind goes. <laughs> <laughs> and, so organized. It, it, well, Bob, you had to do that, right? The the company that you worked with, you traveled through that company, and you basically kept track of all of your expenses because a you got reimbursed for them, and b you like spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look at spreadsheets for a living. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's sort of my travel was was pushed on me by my work. And so my entire philosophy around travel has been influenced by having a job that allowed me to travel. So they would send me to Denver, Colorado, and I would have X amount of time there. So then it's like, okay, I need to do my work, but how do I hike in the Rockies? And how do I cram all of this stuff in while making sure I get my work done so you know I can continue to travel? And so that's why that's that's what molded and shaped my travel style, and that's what I 
I am the way I am. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but I envy, you know, the four of you because I missed that. I didn't experience travel like that. And the, the longer I've been doing this podcast and talking to people who have, who have these like deep experiences, like really touching uh, intimate experiences with the culture and the country that they get to visit, I'm just becoming more and more fascinated by it. And I'm go- I, I want to do it myself. I don't know when it'll happen, but the slow travel, the vagabonding, that type of travel experience is something that I'm looking forward to in the future. Most people do it early on in their 20s and their teens before, you know, when they take a gap year, whatever it may be. Mine is going to be later in life. You know, now I'm stuck working. But once I can get to that point, I want to I want to experience that way. And that's that's part of the reason that I wanted to invite you all back on and really break down. I don't know how you guys did it. So, so Amanda and Ryan, why don't you uh, tell us about your your vagabonding, your backpacking experiences a bit? Yeah, yeah. So, our just to kind of like set the context, um, we've kind of gone through phases like Jules and Christine. Like when we, I guess our, our kind of three big ones were in uh, right after we finished university. We both worked quite a bit and didn't want to leave university, get a job and just like be on a track like that. So we saved up a bunch of money and we did six months between Europe and Southeast Asia and Australia. And that was like kind of your prototypical, like 20, 21 year old, like changing city every two days uh, on the move. (laughs) But, um, and then in 2014, so after coming back, working a couple of years, we had saved up money and we quit and we went to South America and did six months um, around South America. And then since then, our kind of goal was to be able to work and travel. So starting in 2016, we've been working and traveling. And so kind of the the experience is like definitely different from trying to save up all this money and travel. And then now where we're, our budget's a bit more dependent on like, hey, how much money are we making right now? But that's kind of like the, the three stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking specifically to the backpacking into your question around how we sort of save and plan. Um, it's it's funny because I was laughing at the the spreadsheet question because I was like, have we ever had a spreadsheet for this stuff? <laughs> we we, nah, we were the same. We like used an app before, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. didn't really do a good job keeping track. Notes. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, but we do do some planning, especially if we're planning for a big trip. So with those two big trips, we kind of looked at okay, what are the places we want to go? Did some research on how much they cost approximately, like just read some blog posts and stuff around, you know, other backpackers who had done it, who said, oh, you know, when you're in a city like London, for example, like London, England, you're going to have to spend a lot more money than when you're in a city like Bangkok or something like that. And so we kind of looked at, okay, the places we want to go, how long we want to go for, and then just did like a rough estimate of, okay, if we spend three months in Europe, six weeks in Asia, six weeks in Australia and New Zealand, how much money are we going to need? And then just started saving kind of based off that and then tried to buffer a little extra in. And when we did South America, it was very similar to that. South America was a bit easier because we were just kind of sticking to one general area of the world. And yeah, the countries differ in price a little bit, but not as much as like Europe versus Southeast Asia and that type of thing. And basically with that trip, we looked at, okay, there's a couple like big ticket items we want to do. Like we knew we wanted to do the Galapagos Islands. We wanted to go to Rio for Carnival. And there were like a couple other things we knew we wanted to do. So we looked at the price of those, added those in, and then just did kind of like a rough estimate. And definitely had some times where things got not quite as, not quite as, uh, (laughs) 
Bread and mustard. Bread and mustard. Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. It's really good. Yeah. I have a lot of memories of, especially on our first trip, because we were very, very budget travelers then, because we just finished university. Uh, We did a lot of like whatever was the free breakfast at the hostel. So usually cornflakes. Always pancakes. pancakes. We had a lot of cornflakes. Oh, I feel like Mm. ours was always pancakes. Yeah. They always did pancake breakfast. Not very good pancakes. Yeah, yeah. Just like that (laughs) jug that you shake up. (laughs) Cornflakes and like an apple juice in the morning and then buy like buns and some deli meat from like usually like Tesco or something. (laughs) Their equivalent. And then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Buy like some turkey, some cheese and yeah, like a bun or. Um, I'm gluten free, which adds like an extra layer to that. So I do like yeah. rice cakes. So I ate a lot of like rice cakes with like one piece of deli meat and one piece of cheese. Fancy. <laughs> and wow. if we were really splurging, maybe we got like some hummus and carrots or Ooh. something. Whoa, Whoa. those were the fancy, fancy days. Yeah. yeah, really fancy days. Treat yourself. <laughs> so, so it sounds like the things that you anticipated on spending money on when booking, a, when when planning a trip like this would be accommodations, meals, and maybe transportation. Now, for for any of you, was there something that uh, you weren't expecting, weren't anticipating to cost a lot of money or drain your funds that you would now consider when when planning a backpacking trip? Anything that you, you really, that sticks out as sucking some money out of you? What you I would just say like spontaneous activities yeah, that you didn't even know existed in that yeah. country. And you're kind of in the back of your mind, they're like, well, I didn't budget for this. You know, I didn't really expect this expense, but it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You're there. When's the next time you're going to be in that country? You might as well, you know, do the tour, the activity or whatever. And then that tends to add up in the end. Yeah. I think, yeah. When you're traveling without a plan, like with a, and you're traveling long-term back, uh, backpacking, you, you know, you, you come across a country and then you hear about something and you're like, oh, that seems really cool. Like I, one that stands out is the ATM caves in mm-hmm. Belize. Yeah. It's like, I think the tour was like $80 US. And at the time, like we were probably traveling on maybe $100 each a week. Like that was our budget when we budget backpack. This is eight years ago in, in Central America. And we came across that. It was like $80. And we're like, whew. Like now it's like, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem that bad. Uh, and we 100% recommend it. But at the time it was like very much a decision it's like, well, this is kind of like a week of traveling for us. Yeah, a lot of beans and a lot of mustard <laughs> bread to you know to afford this, and we, you know, we did it, and we it definitely was um, one of the most amazing experiences. But probably, yeah, th- like those sorts of things that we had no idea it was there, and then it came across it, and we're like, okay, this is something we need to factor into. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had those as well. And then one other one that came to mind for me right away, and maybe this is more of the fact that we're Canadian, but bank ATM fees was not something that I had planned for the first time we traveled. And um, I banked with a Canadian bank called Royal Bank of Canada, and they had have no partner banks around the world. And so taking out cash all around the world, I think I added it up at the end of six months and I'd spent like 1200 bucks or something in bank fees because, Whoa. you know, for those of you who have been to Asia, you know that like some of the ATMs don't let you take out that much cash. So you take out cash and you end up only getting like $200 in your home currency. And, you know, it charges you like a fee to take out the cash. It'll end up being five bucks and my bank would charge me five bucks. So I'd get charged two bucks or $10 on 
$200 worth of cash. So I wanted to take out, you know, all the cash I needed for the whole time. And so when we got home, I got a different bank, which is Scotiabank. And that has more partners around the world. But still, like if we don't have access to a Scotiabank ATM, we get dinged like the $10 or whatever when we take out cash. So that was one that really added up that I had not prepared for. Yeah, that was an ATM fees are brutal. Yeah, Yeah. it's like they... And then, you, and then you also like getting that that situation where you don't want to be taking money out all the time, so you take out like a stack of cash, and then you're in, you know, you're traveling in some of these countries, and you've got like five hundred dollars, and you're like, this is not ideal either. To yeah, have five hundred dollars. Sure. So yeah. much cash. That's why you're gonna yeah, get on so. that Charles Schwab. Yeah, luckily our yeah. our bank Charles now Schwab. doesn't charge us any fees, so we don't we can avoid that. But that was pretty yeah. brutal back yeah. in the day. If you're traveling, get a Charles Schwab account. Yeah. I did with my wife, yeah. Yeah, best thing ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one other thing I'll add just about kind of unexpected, I feel like for us, and especially like when you're traveling in a region, like when you're maybe traveling in South America, um, it happened a few other times where you're kind of just like without doing much research, just like imagining something's going to cost something based off your perception of that place. So like we were in Ecuador and we're like, wow, Ecuador is really amazingly affordable. You can walk into any restaurant. It's going to be really um, cheap. And then went to from there to Sao Paulo, Brazil. We had a flight that way. And I remember getting there and like going into like a restaurant and being like, holy crap, things are really expensive here um, in a way that you didn't imagine or like some buses in Brazil were really really expensive compared to what they cost in other parts of south america so sometimes we had just like on the travels imagining like oh yeah brazil's going to cost the same as ecuador or mm. guatemala is going to cost the same as it does in mexico or less maybe and then you get there and you're like oh crap it's the opposite uh <laughs> yeah. i didn't budget accordingly yeah right. we ran into that when we went to peru we were because we thought peru was going to be fairly cheap comparatively and i think we overestimated how cheap it was going to be and it ended up being that it was roughly the same, maybe a little bit less than like a U.S. restaurant. But oh, Lima. Lima. Lima in particular. Mm-hmm. But even Cusco, yeah. some of the restaurants we went to, uh, granted, we didn't go to, you know, holes in the wall, except for that one kebab place. Uh, but it was... That was known for its kebabs. Wall, it? <laughs> it was a hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah. It was a literal hole in the wall. It was like three in the morning. go and like some places where it seems like the average restaurant is really affordable and some places where you need to go find like the affordable place to eat like there's tons of affordable places to eat in brazil yeah but like lots of the places you go into that look just kind of nice and average might be more expensive because they're for tourists or they're for Mm -hmm. people from like the higher classes and that type of thing Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, Yeah. something we've learned kind of on that note is like if we're traveling from country to country and it's a new country we haven't been to now we often kind of just know that our our first meal in that place is probably going to be like more expensive than our other meals like with brazil uh, going off that example we found these like really great kind of buffet style places called like paper kilo and so you could just fill up this bucket and you paid by the pound or by the kilo and it was super super affordable we just didn't know that existed when we first landed in Sao Paulo. So it's like you land, you're hungry, of course. You just kind of go looking for a place that looks tasty and and looks like you're, you know, going to have a good meal. And then sometimes you pay a little more than you necessarily need to. So we just kind of know, like, okay, we go to a restaurant, we scope it out, and then we do a bit more research afterwards. And it's okay if we spend a bit more money that first meal. We'll we'll figure out like the more affordable places as we go. 
Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. like giving yourself the chance to recalibrate, you know, when you go to a mm-hmm. place. It's like like finding out, also like finding out the value of something, you know, like mm-hmm. what does like a can of Coke cost? What does a beer cost? What does a meal cost? Like you kind of like when you get yourself into a new country and a new setting, you have to just recalibrate and see what the value of like something is and then how far your budget goes. And then you know like what is like low, medium, high prices. It's uh, mm-hmm. a great tip. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elliot. I mean, by the time we made it to like, was it Aguas Calientes? We we were given some insight on the layout of the town, and we're told this is kind of where the tourists hang out. If you go this way, this is where the the workers, the you know the people that are operating the the tourist infrastructure live. And then we remember we headed to that area. Yeah. That's where we did our grocery shopping and things like that to just save a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. always been like one of our best like our biggest tips when people ask us like, you know, how to save money or like how to have local experiences authentic. It's like go where the locals go. Like that's where you're going to find the cheapest food. It's often where you're going to find the best food as well. And that you can, that's so applicable to so many places. Like that's applicable to San Francisco. Like you go to Fisherman's Wharf, which is just a few blocks down for us. Everybody goes there. They go to the piers. Food's terrible. It's so expensive. <laughs> so expensive because <laughs> tourists come in and out. They don't care the quality. They're not going to see you again. You know, no mm-hmm. local, no locals go there. And so, like, it's the same anywhere you go. Like, whether it's you know in the US or it's in Peru or it's in Southeast Asia. Like, you know, you follow where the locals go. You're going to get the best food, and you're also going to get the cheaper food because it's it's more in line with like the the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here's a tip based on uh, what everybody just said. Amanda, what Amanda said with just kind of chalking up that first meal to being a little bit more expensive while you're there, maybe talk to the waiter or an employee. Hey, where do you eat? Where should I go for cheaper food? And then go there for the remainder of your trip, for the remainder of your stay. And and now, you know, from a local, from a someone who lives in the town where they shop and, and now you can save a little bit of money. Yeah, they're like, mm-hmm. not here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you should go somewhere else. Uh-huh. Good tip first, though. Tip yeah, right. before you go. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the things I always really liked about staying in hostels was having, mm-hmm. you know, people in the hostel who could tell us where to go eat or where to go shop. And, um, you know, of course, Airbnbs have their pros also. And if, you, if your Airbnb host is a local, you can ask them to great places to go eat that are budget or that where the locals are, where like, the local market is you can ask them those types of things but i think just not being afraid to ask those questions is really important yeah yeah that's a great tip i think i think finding friends in cities is one of the best ways to eat cheaply and see things that you normally wouldn't see because it's they will give you wherever they go and it's kind of like what Bob said about finding a waitress or a bartender and asking them. But now you actually, if you make friends with someone, then they may actually show you around as well and give you tips of their favorite restaurants and their favorite bars. That's sure. why I think things like couch surfing, um, like yeah. couch surfing communities are really good for that because you know there's an established community of people who are interested in interacting and meeting people from abroad. And they have this community that you can sort of slot yourself into and get all this firsthand local advice from and, it's that we did a lot of that stuff, you know, like connecting mm-hmm. with couch and communities, and that was a great way as well, just to meet people and then also get those insights. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so now that we kind of have an idea of general budget, 
De- depend, you know, no, it's not a spreadsheet. It's okay. But you have, you have an idea of, of how you can budget. I can see like the tension in your like face as you're like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we don't have to spreadsheet, but I mean, if you want a spreadsheet, I, let's do I it. Don't, I, I, I now know not to share you, with you guys any of my planning, uh, what it looks like. Yeah, Elliot unfortunately sees it all, but um, I mean, even very quick side tangent, but how I break down my to-do list for this podcast is in a spreadsheet. So it is. No, I'm not surprised by that. I actually feel like though, if I had a spreadsheet that had really good formulas in it, I, I would probably use that. So just an for idea budgeting. for you, for us, like unplanned travelers. Why right. don't you try and convert it? Why don't you send us your spreadsheet? Yeah. Send us, send us <laughs> a really detailed I explanation. I can you a, a, a quick snip of what my spreadsheet looks like on just to do to manage all of the tasks associated with this podcast. But uh, for that's for another conversation. So, so staying on, on topic um, with budgeting, we kind of have an idea of what it takes. Now, when you're on your trip, when you actually get to your destination, I'm going to assume that we all sort of have the same goal it's to experience it's to meet people it's to try new food see new architecture we're all going just to learn right so um when when you're actually there and you're trying to sorry i kind of lost my train of thought here but uh when you're actually experiencing this new place i guess how do you what tips could you provide somebody on how to continue and navigate and make sure you do learn and experience? Do you have any insight to give somebody who's never backpacked before in their lives? They step foot in South America, in a country in South America somewhere. Like what, what do you actually do on a daily basis? How do you start? How do we start? Let's see. Um, I guess we do a little bit of research beforehand, you know, just to make sure we check off those key places that we really don't want to miss. But besides that, we would pretty much just show up. And this is a testament to our non-planning, but pretty much just show up in a country, maybe have a hostel booked the first night, maybe not. And just work it from there. And pretty, if you're staying in a hostel, it's a really good um, chance to tap into the travel community and see where other people have been, what they recommend, see what places are like now. Cause you know, if you pick up a lonely planet or a rough guides, you'll see a lot of like out of date restaurants and, you know, some attractions may be different than when they wrote that book, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. But if you're talking to other backpackers and travelers, you can get real time advice on what you should skip, which you should definitely see. Um, yeah. And then as Jules is saying, just try to tap into the local community as much as possible. I know it sounds kind of intimidating to just go up to a local and be like, hey, like, do you want to be my friend? Like, where do you, what do you, recommend? <laughs> yeah, where do you eat? Um, but that's definitely the best way that we've been able to experience a country for what it is, is just to tap into local culture and, and take local transportation uh, go where the locals go, eat where the locals eat. And that gives you like a real insight to that uh, country. Otherwise, you're kind of just living like a tourist, basically. Yeah, I definitely support that. The idea of like the traveling community is so supportive. And and like, yeah, that's what one of the definitely best things about staying in hostels is that like so many times you just you kind of like know where you're going. Like, okay, I'm starting here and I'm traveling down to here. And these are like, I want to do like this, this and this. And then the rest of it is just you kind of fill it in. You've got a rough time and then, you, you know, you meet someone. Someone's like, I'm going to this spot. And you're like, I've never heard of that spot before, you know. And then, you know, it's the same thing with like you meet traveling buddies. You might travel with someone for a week and then I'm going to go out here and do this Amazon jungle jungle experience. And you're like, cool, I'll come with you. Or like that's or somebody just did that and like they tell you it and they're like, oh, my God, you've got to go and do this. And you're like, great. That sounds amazing. And so I feel like a lot of our, a lot of the things we did came from that as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds very freeing. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd say for us, I guess the, the kind of our first thing, we seem to be a bit more like do a little bit more planning than that in terms of where we're going to stay, where we're going to go. Um, when we did our first trip, we went to Europe in the summer um, after like university. So like the very stereotypical thing to do. But also one of the, kind of the first things we realized, we were in London, which was like our second city. And then we were going to Edinburgh after. And we were like looking like, oh, where can we stay in Edinburgh? And turns out if you're trying to book a hostel in June in Edinburgh, like you can't stay anywhere basically because they're all full. <laughs> um, and kind of realized there that we needed to stay like a few weeks ahead of, of where we were going to go. Um, so that's kind of, we usually stay like kind of a couple weeks ahead of what we're going to do and try to like stay flexible. One of the great things with a lot of places like Hostel World, for example, or booking, usually you can make reservations that are mostly refundable. Um, and then the second thing I'd say, like, like Jules and Christine mentioned, staying in hostels is awesome. Sometimes you can get in kind of this mindset of like, I'm going to look at the price of a hostel. And I'm going to look at the price of a hotel or look at the price of an Airbnb and maybe think like, oh, maybe the value makes more sense to stay in an Airbnb. But that kind of misses out on a lot of the value you can get it from a hostel, especially early on in a trip, like being able to stay there and like go up to like the hostel bar, meet people here, like from, oh, we just came from this place. It was really awesome. Or don't go to that place. Or if you go stay here, um, that stuff's so helpful. And then my final thing would be, especially for getting started with backpacking, I think like having a thing to do kind of right out off the, the start of it is really helpful. So like for us a couple of times, that's been, okay, we're going to sign up for Spanish lessons and go to a Spanish school. Even though like, if you're asking me like, what do I think the best way to learn a language is, it's probably not like investing in a Spanish school, but actually being in like a school in a place where you're able to meet different people, um, get, you know, those teachers you can ask those questions of is really awesome or having like a, an event to go to. So yeah. one of the things we did, when we went to Europe, um, we wanted to go to the running of the bulls. So we had that like right at the start of our trip and we had that kind of stuff planned out. And that was kind of this big way to like really get out of our comfort zones really quickly um, doing this thing. So having kind of, you know, something like big at the start, I think is, is also a really yeah. exciting way to kind of get there. And like, you're not going to, even if you feel nervous, you've got like, okay, I'm getting out of the house. I'm like meeting people. I'm, do I'm doing that type of thing. Yeah, it was the first yeah. thing we booked for that trip. We knew we wanted to travel after university and we didn't know exactly where we wanted to go. So we picked an event that we were excited about, which was running of the bulls. And so we booked our, you don't need like tickets or anything. You just have to get accommodation. So I think our accommodation in Pamplona in July of 2011 was the first thing we booked of that whole trip. And so we didn't know where we were flying into or anything like that we didn't even know how we were going to get to pamplona but we had this one kind of anchor for that trip and that was super helpful and we very much did the same thing with south america we knew i wanted to have my 25th birthday in the galapagos which we did and then after that we were going to rio for carnival and those were like the two things we knew we wanted to do so we kind of anchored our trip around like those two events um which was pretty cool i like i like planning that way because it makes it it makes it a little easier. I mean, it's probably less flexible in terms of trying to find cheaper flights because you have a specific date in mind, at least for the running of the bulls. For Galapagos on a birthday, that is also a very specific date. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I remember when I stayed in, I had a four-month study abroad in Germany, 
And it, it felt a little bit like a backpacking trip in the way that we're talking about it now, looking back, where when I was there, it didn't feel like a backpacking trip because I had a consistent place to stay at least four nights a week. And then on the weekends, I traveled three days. But I would always either try to find a couch surfing option first and foremost. And I would sometimes be looking as I was in the city <laughs> until I, like the night I needed to actually find a place to stay. And by then I would, if I didn't have a couch surfer, I would get a hostel. And the hostels were great because like you said, you can meet tons of people there. And it was, I actually ran into a guy in Amsterdam and then two months later, I ran into him again, completely unintentional in Berlin. That's the best. And I was like, oh, dude, what's up? <laughs> That's awesome. And in the food portion of it, if the hostels had like muesli or bread, muesli is like uh, granola. granola with a bunch of oats. And so I'd always have that for breakfast or yogurt. And then I would see if they had... In Germany, at least, they always had sliced bread and deli meats. So I would pack that for lunch. <laughs> mm, nice. Nice. Awesome. Take the breakfast for lunch, yeah. too. Eat your yeah. breakfast and then pack lunch. That's yep. a good move. <laughs> yeah. So I usually only paid for my dinners. Mm -hmm. But it now, was a wild time. So much fun, though. So something that's been said a few times now is that you don't book your accommodations until like, you're there, which, again... Okay, just to clarify, that's <laughs> right. actually not something that we do. Ryan would probably do that on his own, but I don't do that. So I'm okay. with you on this, Bob. Okay. Okay. <laughs> There's like a certain level of comfort that I need, and that's knowing where I'm going to sleep that night where I arrive. I do right. not want uh, to walk around cities with all my stuff. That's what I was thinking. I mean, if you're, if you're traveling for six months, then fine. I guess, but part part of the enjoying the travel experience to take away the worry about where I might stay increases my enjoyment while experiencing the place because I don't have to worry about it. I know I know I'm going to be able to find a bed at the end of the night. So what I'm what I'm going to ask is, do any of you have an experience where it backfired? You couldn't find a bed or a couch, and you were stuck out on the streets for a night. I feel like Christine. I feel like this is a deep rooted like Christine's. Yeah, this is a deep rooted problem for me because th this is how my family travels. Yeah, so you have a good story. I was lucky enough that like my family traveled a lot uh, in college. In uh, sorry, when I was growing up, and we did these great trips and whatnot. But they are not planners, uh, and <laughs> so there are a few times we ended up at some places, and there would be like an event on or something, and the hotel staff would just look at us like we're crazy. This family of four rolls up. Up and is expecting a hotel room at the night like in Vegas when there's like a fight night and the whole city is booked out um but one time I was uh in going to college and we had like our college uh like weekend I don't know it was like a pre-college weekend or whatever and so my family's there to check out the college and we roll up and they're like, didn't you book ahead? And my mom's like, no. And they're like, um, ma'am, people have booked rooms like, you know, six months in advance for this big weekend and the whole city is booked out. You're not going to find a room. And luckily the concierge was this very sweet college student who invited us to stay in her apartment with her roommates. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so my entire family stayed in her apartment for the weekend and it was wow. just very nice. But I'm yeah, surprised so, you don't have uh, trauma from that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know you think I would be the opposite now because yeah. I would have learned my lesson, but nope. Well, it I'm sounds like you didn't learn your lesson. The lesson learned was if you can't pay for a room, someone will give Someone's it to you for free. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, you know what? They're just being, she's being enabled all her life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is like, that's the thing is like when you're traveling, um, the uh, things work out, you know, even if you don't plan everything and you get in a sticky situation, like we've had people step up to the plate and, you know, just be really kind and generous. And obviously we don't want to rely on people's generosity all the time, but it's just, you know, everything works out while you're traveling and it's, yeah. it's all good. It, it sounds like a great experience too. Yeah. yeah to and that's, to meet yeah. that person and, and enjoy yeah. your time with them. Yeah. I, I, I get it. And that's, and that's what, like for us, that's what travel is about. It's about having those experiences and, and about pushing our boundaries and about, you know, I guess for us, like one of the big things about not planning accommodation ahead is that we never want to lock ourselves into a certain date and be like, we have to be here on this date. And, you know, you can get flexible uh, accommodation options, like you were saying, you know, with Hostel World and stuff like that. But we just didn't want to, we, we love the idea of being like, hey, we love it here. Like, let's just stay another week. And, and that's for us is why we didn't plan like ahead too much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think as well, it's like kind of like being aware of like the situation too, of like most of the time, like if you're in a certain place where you know there's vacancies at most of the hostels, then yeah, you can like not worry about it. Yeah. Versus like there are sometimes those like, okay, there's like specific events that create issues and you can like, as long as you're kind of like aware in the distance of them, then you can plan for those. Yeah. I, that's, that's a good tip. I think like, you know, doing some preliminary searches and seeing like where you're going to be, what time and like how many hostels there are in the area. It's sort of like getting a rough idea that like, hey, there are 10 hostels in this area and there's not some kind of crazy event that's going on where they're going to be booked out. So I know that last minute I could roll in and just get a room. Like the chances are. Yeah. So that, that that's a good one as well. Like, yeah, not thinking like running, hey, I'm going to go to Pamplona and drink <laughs> running of the bulls and not know that it's on and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to yeah, check the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I have one story though with, um, so like Amanda mentioned, Amanda's very much like the planning part of like our, our team. Uh, and so I did a solo trip in Central Europe uh, five years ago and I was just kind of like winging it. And I went from Prague to Chesky Krumlov, which is a small town um, south of there, which is a ma magical, really beautiful place. Um, and this was in February. So I was like, oh, February in Czech Republic, like everything's open, everything's available. I don't need to worry about this. I'd read about a cool hostel. So I was like, I'm just going to, you know, take the train down there, walk up to the hostel, no problem. Um, and so I get there, it's probably like 730 at night. And it's just like ghost town dead because it's a tourist town that's really busy in the summer. In the winter, a lot of people just kind of close up shop and leave. And so I hike from the train station up there with like my big bag and stuff, get to the hostel. And they're like, oh, yeah, the like people to check people in only work from like nine to four. And so the door is locked and like oh, no. there's guests there, but they're like, oh, we can't let you in. And then they're like, oh, but if you go like downtown, like I think there's a hostel down there that's open. And so it's like a 15 minute walk. I walk with my bag like down these little cobblestone streets into the center of town. And then where this guy had told me there was a place, um, there isn't. Uh, and that hostel is closed standard. as well. And so I'm like at a bar there and I'm like, oh, like, do you guys know anywhere to stay? And he's like, oh, yeah, all the hostels are closed here. It's February, except for the one you tried to go to earlier, um, oh, which no. was close to the night. And he's like, there is like a hotel like up on the hill over there. Um, and so I walk up to this hotel, which is like quite a nice hotel. Um, 
which was definitely out of my budget. But thankfully, they were open. They had someone at the front desk. And then I was, they were like, oh, yeah, the rooms cost like 100 bucks a night. And I was like, well, like, it's already 9pm. How about I just pay you 60 bucks and use the room and then I'll go next tomorrow. And they agreed to it. Um, I was able to stay there. It actually worked Look. out well as well because it was like a really nice room. It was kind of like a nice treat for myself that it wouldn't have uh, like I wouldn't yeah. have paid that much on my own. But since I was in that situation, I got this like beautiful room to myself. Nice like shower. Shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it worked Rinse. out well. But yeah, that was mine where I was like, OK, I should actually like book a few things from here for the rest of this trip because I don't want to <laughs> spend two hours hiking with my bag again. Yeah, you messaged me. I was back in Canada. And I was just like shaking my head. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? But I actually have a story from like my first backpacking trip, which was in 2008 with two girlfriends. And I think my mom is like a big planner and I feel like I'm like a bit type A. So I feel like naturally I'm more of a planner, but I feel like this story actually kind of also gave me like a bit of trauma <laughs> where I was like, I never show up without a place to stay. Um, so my friend and I were like, separating from our other friend because she was going to see her parents who were living in Den Haag in Holland. And my friend and I were going to Amsterdam. We're like 19. We show up on like the last train into Amsterdam and we go to check into the hostel that I'd booked and I'd booked the wrong dates. So we didn't oh, have no. a hostel for the night. We weren't booked until the following night and it was busy. And this is the first time we've been in Amsterdam. It's like dark, you know, there's like the red light district. There's like all sorts of people in the streets and we were just like totally freaked out. And so we just went to the first hotel we saw outside of the train station, which is like the dumbest move ever for anyone who's listening take a breath. You'll be fine. Especially in a city <laughs> like that. Walk a little further than the first hotel. And she's like, well, I have my dad's credit card. We'll just charge it to his credit card. <laughs> I was like, okay. We're like 19. It's like summer after our first year of university. Like we have no idea what the heck we're doing. <laughs> so we stayed in this like really posh hotel and like we walked in with like our backpacks were like dirty we were like hungover because we'd partied the night before and like just gross and you can tell that they're like these are not <laughs> our typical clientele and she just like lays down her dad's credit card and pays for it and then yeah we went out and partied that night and left the next day to actually go to our <laughs> hostel but I was like yeah, a little bit traumatized by that whole experience. <laughs> I think I've just been good at like getting the right dates and planning meticulously since then. That um, same thing happened to me, actually. I, I uh, flew to Brazil. I was by myself. I got to the hostel exhausted after a full day of traveling. I actually had the neurovirus, which I didn't realize until later, but I was wow. very sick. And I got to the hostel just ready to sleep. And they were like, yeah, we, these are the wrong dates you booked. Oh, and no. we're full. So good luck. So I had to find a different place. But that is very frustrating. Yeah. So it seems like the takeaway here is if you plan anything, maybe make it your your accommodations yeah. for the night if you, or, or have a backup know where the hostels are or something um actually i feel like it's like knowing yourself and just being okay with like who you are like for me i'm fully okay with the fact that i like to like rock up to a place and know where i'm gonna sleep that night and bob i think you should just like own that you're like that too be okay <laughs> with the fact that some people aren't right like right, right. some people that for them is like taking away some of the enjoyment of travel and for me i feel like i'm like you bob where it's like 
I don't want to think about where I'm like going to have to sleep that night because where I sleep is not the part about travel that excites me. I would rather just know that I have somewhere to put my stuff and know that I have a bed to sleep in and then be able to do all the other outside the comfort zone stuff in like the food I eat and the people I interact with and the activities I do. And for me, that's like, that's me. Right. And I think it's, it's okay if somebody's it. different. Yeah. 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 And, and you can also change and evolve. Like mm-hmm. and you don't have to sort of like be stuck on one way. Like, you might plan one part and then not plan the other. And like, you know, you can really, I think that's a good point. Like you can just sort of whatever suits your style, like go for it. Like if you want to be the person who plans every night, so you know, so you can just like forget about that, like do that. And if you want to wing it, wing it, you know, and like, I guess it's like, depends on what you want, what you're looking for. Yeah. I think yeah, I've definitely loves. Oh, sorry. Go, no, ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I have a friend who like loves food. And so she's very big on like planning out like, oh, I want to have breakfast here and I want to have dinner here and I want to have coffee here and I want to have wine here. And like for me, I like good food, of course, but I don't plan my trips like in that way. So when I travel with her, I'm like, that's fine. Like if you want to map out where we're going to eat for like the four days we're here, like that's cool with me because that's the thing she gets enjoyment out of. And I think it's knowing kind of like, what you like to do. Like, I'm totally fine to be like, these are the activities I want to do. And if this happens around lunchtime, I'll find somewhere to eat that's near to this thing we're doing. Yeah. That's so I'm, I'm very similar to your friend, but what I've been learning a lot with talking to people like the four of you and is that there's a lot of fun to be had if you don't know. And now, and, and keeping accommodations, accommodations, I will absolutely still have to book in advance, but the, I, I'm almost shifting my travel planning to be around the, it's a contingency plan in a way. This is where I could eat if I want this specific item. This is where I know for a fact has great coffee. If I can't find it, I have something to fall back on. But while I'm there, maybe I'll see what someone tells me or just go down an alley and try it for myself and then still have the capability to to know, okay, that coffee was crap. I want to try the place I know about. You know, and, and something yeah. like that. But I think that's a great plan, Bob. The plan is to have a backup plan. <laughs> the, the decision yeah. tree where it's like, okay, if this happens, oh, then yeah. go here. Yeah. 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 He actually has an Excel formula for that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, it is like, I do think it is, it's a good it is plan. especially with like thinking about longer travel. Like I do think that's when I'd, if someone was kind to me and like, hey, I've got like a six month trip and I've got like everything planned. That's one of the only times I'd be like, like you should consider doing a lot less planning. Like, yeah, because on a long trip like that, the goal should be like, you're going somewhere, you're learning about new things. Like as you kind of are growing and evolving and learning, you should find, figure out other things that you want to do and get more comfortable doing. Like if you're going to South America and planning for like six months from now, you're probably going to plan to go to a whole bunch of cities whatever probably going to plan to go quickly because you want to see all these countries versus once you get there you're probably going to want to slow down you're probably going to want to go to places more off the map so i think as you want to travel longer you should do kind of less planning Mm -hmm. yeah well let's talk about traveling longer because you guys have all four of you have traveled fairly on a tight budget and maybe not so much anymore but while you were traveling on those tight budgets did you work did you find odd jobs to do or did you try to make money or was it all prepaid different things like back in the back in the early days uh like working in hostels was like a thing that i've done like a bunch of different times where you're like a 
volunteer, you know, where you, but really you just like checking in people. And I've done, I've done that a few times in, in Central and South America to extend stays where, you know, you come across a cool place, you, you, your plane is pretty open and, you know, there's like, they're always looking for people that can just like man the desk and you're like, cool, I'll do that and I'll stay here for a few weeks. And like, I've done that a few times. Yeah, we uh, have worked in nonprofits, so that was kind of like an anchor for a few of our trips, which it was nice to have like something to do to feel productive, you know, because if you travel, we were traveling for, you know, most of the year just constantly and you can kind of feel a little bit like, you know, out of touch and a little like you're floating a little bit like just, I don't know, non-centered. So it was nice having that uh, purpose. Yeah, but we weren't getting paid. So <laughs> it wasn't really working. But yeah. so then, you know, eventually when we kept traveling, we were like, okay, we should probably earn some money. Uh, so that's when we started the blog and that became, you know, our full-time income eventually. Yeah. So yeah, probably like less work, but more like finding ways to extend like our trip even further, make it cheaper. So like a lot mm-hmm. of the volunteering work we did you get housed and fed and things like that. So you could stay in a place for a lot longer. And, and yeah, that's actually like where we met um, volunteering mm-hmm. in Peru. We spent six months there doing that mm-hmm. and other places in the Philippines. And that was like, yeah, between that. And then probably when I was younger, like just like staying in party hostels and being like, yeah, I work here now. <laughs> Stuff. Stuff. I'm a, and really it's just like spending two weeks just getting drunk every night. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, for us, we, before we started like our digital nomad journey, I guess you could say we were just traveling. So we had saved all of our money beforehand. So the first time it was definitely more like, I think like piecing it together, really tight budget because we'd been in school and, you know, keep in mind, college secondary education in Canada is a lot more affordable than the US. We didn't come out with debt, which is really, really lucky. And so we were able to save money from like our summer jobs and part-time jobs while we were in our last year. And then from working before we actually went on our trip. And so that gave us enough money to travel for the six months. We came back like dirt, dirt broke. Like we got our first apartment together in Calgary when we came back and my mom had to sign on it because like we didn't have enough money in our bank accounts collectively to like, put down the, the down deposit. payment oh, wow. and stuff like the, yeah, the deposit <laughs> like basically we were too sketchy according to the property management company <laughs> to sign on our own so my mom co-signed and lent us the deposit which we paid back once we got jobs and stuff like that and then we were working in corporate for two full years and so about a year into that we recognized that it wasn't really for us and that we wanted to make a change i had been down to south america to peru actually for two weeks with a girlfriend did machu picchu the amazon fell totally in love with the country and came back home and was like ryan we need to go to south america and you know after showing him a couple cool things we could do down there he was convinced and we basically started saving from there we spent a whole year saving which we were both working you know full-time corporate jobs. Our combined income was well over six figures. So we were definitely in a position to save and we saved a lot of money um, to do that second trip. And then again, we came back home very low on cash. Um, We had enough money for a deposit that time around. Didn't have to co-sign anything. (laughs) Yeah. found, Found a place in Canmore, which has been our Canadian home you know, since that point. And we did a career change at that point, started working 
I guess like minimum wage jobs, retail cafes while we built the podcast and kind of figured out what our next move was. And it was at that point that we kind of went like, okay, we don't really want to keep just like saving all of our money and then spending all of our money and coming back to Canada so desperate for work and for money and that type of thing. We were in our mid twenties at that point. And that's when we said, okay, let's use this time to figure out what our next move is and figure out how we can make that remote. So that was kind of the transition for us and, and the savings that went into those types of trips. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, I just, it's pretty uh, similar. So. I don't know. I was going to say, like, we've talked before about this, like, about how similar our stories are. Like, same thing, mm-hmm. like, working. Uh, I used to be a high school teacher back in Melbourne, like, work, save as much money as I can, go off on a trip, come back, go back to teaching, take off again. Like, and then, yeah, we've got very similar journeys in terms of, like, how can we transition? Like, how can we make this part of, like, our life, make it sustainable, which has been a big part of us, like, building our blog and, and everything that we've done as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a night when we were in, um, just going back to Jules, you talking about working at hostels, which is definitely like a widespread thing where you have lots of opportunities to do it. Remember we had a night, we were staying at a hostel in Quito, which was like nice, but not like the nicest. I think it costs like 10 bucks a night, 15 bucks a night. It yeah, it was really, really cheap. cheap. We met this guy who was working there and he was, they were like working him. Like he was working like 12 hour shifts, managing the desk, like having wow. to like run the bar and he was getting like free accommodation. And I remember thinking like, you know, this place costs like $12 a night, right? Like if you divide 12 hours by $12, you're getting like a dollar an hour. Yikes. <laughs> but um, for probably me. anyone who's listening, yeah. Who's I, I think interested I did. In... Oh, sorry, go for it. Oh, no, I think I did that at a place in Keto. That's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> We've crossed paths in a fast, fast yeah. life. <laughs> but there are lots of cool ways for anyone who's like, hey, I want to start traveling and like really have no savings or like a great way to like make savings. Like um, in Canada, there's a great work travel program in Australia that I know there's a great like working travel visa as well. Where you can do lots of like cool jobs. Um, and find ways to travel. I think sometimes those like budget travel destinations aren't actually like the best way if you want to like work and provide for yourself. Sometimes it's going to the places that are a little bit less expensive because you're usually able to make uh, significantly more money. Like if you're in Canada or Australia than if you're in, you know, Ecuador, Thailand or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have lots of backpacker friends who have done, you know, many months in Southeast Asia, and then they get their working holiday visa, which I think is good till you're like 31 or 32 as a Canadian. And then they go, you know, pick cherries or apples or work in like kind of farms and stuff in Australia, and they make a ton of money doing it. They live in houses with like a bunch of roommates, a bunch of other expats. seems like it's a really fun experience. And then, you know, they make enough money so that they can travel again. So it's kind of like a cool way to support yourself. And then, you know, living in like Vamp Camor area, I mean, we have so many friends who are on working holiday visas from the UK, from Australia, from all over Europe who come, they get this experience in Canada, they can work as ski bums, they can, you know, work in retail hospitality, and then they get to travel like Canada, US, and all of like North South America. Working holiday visa? And how would you, how would you, someone apply and and get that? Is that something that your country provides? Yeah, so I'm definitely not experts on this, but yeah, you would just go to like, if you wanted to find out more about the Canadian one, go to like the Canadian government. If you just Google Canada working holiday visa or the same thing with Australia and something you just, yeah, you apply for, I think 
I think the Canadian one's good for two years. I think the Australian one's like a year. And then if you do farm work, you get it extended. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you can work most jobs actually. I think like a certain level of like higher level jobs, you're not allowed to work. Um, mm. And then, yeah, you're allowed to work and travel. Yeah. I did, I did a Canadian work and holiday, holiday visa um, back in, I think, like 10 years ago, the first time I came over to Canada. It's super easy, especially like coming from Australia, like Commonwealth. It was like, mm-hmm. it's like an email process. It took like a day or something. Like, yeah, cool. Come to the country for two years and work. Well, sorry. <laughs> uh, That's amazing. Yeah. Does the, yeah, I, was, I feel like the United States doesn't have that. I won't be surprised. They have like, like, no way. Like, <laughs> like summer camps. It's yeah. like the weird like summer camp or um, au pair. They have like visas for that, but not. Yeah. Anything similar? You and did the yeah, rest. the working holiday visa in Canada doesn't apply for Americans. I would apologize, but I feel like it's probably yeah. the whole reciprocity with your government thing. <laughs> yeah, so. it's probably it's our fault. Your government. It's like, it's like Canada Canada and Australia are sitting at like the cool kids table, and we're just sitting alone, just looking. Just mm-hmm. No, they're at the adult table. table, and we're at the child's yeah. table. <laughs> it's funny the working holiday visa for Australia, which Christine did, um, like mm-hmm. anyone can apply for. Um, I, I mean, I think like most countries, uh, and then you can do the extension, like if you do the farm work, but I think the U S is the only country that can't extend it. Yeah. Usually you can extend mm. for another year to make it two years if you do farm work, but for Americans, they're like, nope, go home after one year. <laughs> yeah. I think that is ultimately what I would prefer to do. I, I think I'm not the only one that has this thought of. The idea of budget travel and going to a country for six months at a time is really it is really exciting and you really want to do it, but then you start planning for it and you start thinking about it more and you're like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done it before, but having someone to kind of hold your hand or tell you what to do when you get there gives you that confidence of, and it takes away that fear of not knowing. And then you build that confidence up while you're there for the first week or two. And then that's probably all you need to continue doing it. It's, that fact of having someone to kind of hold your hand for the first time. Mm. Yeah, they don't really do that. though. <laughs> like it's pretty much you just uh, you just get a visa and you're on your own. I think there are agencies that will help you find a job and help you find accommodation. So you can do that. Um, but otherwise, it's just a visa and you show up and they're like, good luck. <laughs> yeah. well, they, they don't. But you connect with whatever you're working with. Right. Or wherever you're working, you have at. to just find your own job. It's all mm-hmm. just like the, yeah. One, yeah, the one in Canada is good for anything other than like specified jobs. Okay. So like I, I met a lot of people on it when I was working at Lululemon in Banff. There's like a ton of people. Most people in Banff are Australian or British or, or from another country other than Canada. I think I was one of three on our staff actually from over to, and it was a big wow. staff like 30 not surprising. to 50 people yeah. no so not many, surprising so many like, yeah, I'd check people out and they'd be like wait are you not Australian I'm yeah. like no you're like g'day mate and you're like no what <laughs> <laughs> yeah Whistler and Banff are massive hotspots for Australians um, a lot of people go there because they've got such great mountains and we don't really have like good mountains and snowboarding and stuff like that so a lot of people go over there and Whistler's like Little Australia. Mm. It's funny. So, we're we're getting close to winding down. I want to ask before before we end, if each of you could maybe just give if your favorite country or the the country that you recommend for a first time backpacker. 
big good places. Uh, I mean, like there's a, there's a few places that are like well known, like Southeast Asia, like Thailand is very user friendly, like for people backpacking either as a group or solo. Say like in Southeast Asia, Thailand's probably the it's like it's good. And then you have like the Gringo Trail, as is you know down South America, a lot of people go to. Um, but I would say Guatemala. Even just because probably that was my first trip, but it's like Central America is such a cool region. It's really popular with backpackers, but it's a little bit, little bit more off the beaten track than like you know Thailand and Southeast Asia. Um, but it's still like such a great little community of hostels and backpackers that you can just land in Guatemala and just get swept up in it and find people to travel with and have an amazing time. This is a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's interesting because in in Canada it's really popular to go to Western Europe and I think that Western Europe is really really great because you see all the stuff from you know textbooks that you've learned about in school and that you've seen for years and years and in some ways it, Europe's great because it kind of eases you in the culture is not that different um, and you know there is the language barrier in some places but most countries in Europe they have quite a bit of English however Europe is not cheap. Like that's not a cheap place not to go. So if if you're a backpacker for the first time, I think Thailand, like Jules and Christine said, is a really great option. And then, I mean, we both really love Mexico. I think Mexico yeah, is an Mexico's awesome country. Great. Mexico's awesome. Yeah, there's it's big. There's so much to do, like coast to coast. It's you know relatively safe. It's super affordable. And if you're from you know North America, like Canada, U.S. It's pretty close to home. So if it's kind of scary for you to leave, it's nice to go somewhere that you know you can hop on a flight and within that day you can be back home. I think that's something that can feel really comforting for some people their first time. Um, another place that I really loved being was Bali. Bali's, I mean, super touristic, but it's amazing there. Food is cheap. Weather is great. There's lots of stuff to do just you know on a little island and kind of the surrounding islands. So that's another place that I think would be cool. So I think my top ones, I guess, are Thailand, Bali, and Mexico. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I can like choose one. countries. Yeah, that's kind of like our Mexico, like for Australia, you know, because we're so yeah. isolated. So Bali's, I mean, it's very prominent with like Australian travels, but that's, I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time of the year living in Bali, uh, so that's like our version of Mexico. And that's a great spot as well. Yeah, Bali. Mm -hmm. and, uh, since Amanda <laughs> kind of cheated by giving like three, I'm actually going to cheat as well on my answer. I think that's something that's really, it's kind of easy to get caught up when you're traveling in like what everybody else is doing and like, oh, I'm seeing like cool photos on Instagram of like influencers and like whatever place and I, I want to go there. I think that like there's so many cool places to go depending on your interests and having something that you're personally interested in makes travel um just so much better so like if you're into kind of european history or like you're in really interested in, in history going to europe can be like such an awesome experience like you know i'm going to i remember learning in in high school about the um the like the reconquista in spain and kind of that influence like the arab influence in spain mm -hmm. and going to some of those like cathedrals that are like designed like mosques and have switched back and forth between mosque and cathedral over the years um it was just really cool to, like see a lot of that stuff in person so if you like history going to some places in europe can be really enriching or if you're like a language geek like traveling around mexico would be awesome or like brazil and argentina because you can learn about portuguese and spanish um same thing with so like going somewhere where you're like personally connected with and then uh for countries for me i think that mexico like 
was mentioned is is a really cool place for a backpacker that really gets overlooked because we think Mexico and we think resorts, we think Mexico, we think like, you know, narco violence. Um, but it's really easy and like everyone for the most part is like really nice and open um, and so many cool places you can like bus around and check out. And then another one, a country in Europe that's like definitely popular, definitely on the radar, um, but close to lots of cool things and pretty affordable is the Czech Republic. I think that there's lots and lots of cool stuff to do there beyond Prague um, and especially in like kind of neighboring regions. And it's relatively affordable and just like an awesome place to explore as well. Great insight. Awesome. Yeah. Elliot? Yeah. Uh, so the one question that I wanted to ask so and this is hold on this is the to preface this is Elliot's hoorah question of the day hoorah. and so this <laughs> and I Elliot's hoorah Ham question horn. of the day <laughs> now now we can get started so we're going to start from my screen left to right so Amanda Ryan Jules Christine what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned while backpacking that you can apply to your life Okay, I'm not going to cheat. I'll just say one because I always think of so many answers. That's a really great question, first of all. And I think that mine would be that we're all humans and we're all connected and we're all having this sort of like interconnected experience. I think when you're just in your home country, sometimes you're you think like, oh, somebody has a different belief system than me, or they speak a different language, or their skin color is different, or they're from a different country, therefore, we're not the same. And I think that one of the things travel has taught me is that it doesn't matter who somebody is, or what they believe, or where they're from, or anything like that, like, they're just another human just like me. And I think that having moments where you just have these like really connected human moments with other people when you can't even speak the same language of them is something that is so enriching. Like that's some, one of the things I'm most grateful for with my travels is just having this understanding and compassion for the people around me and the people around the world and recognizing that, you know, the news and the media makes it seem like the world is scary and the world is not scary because it's just billions of people having these human experiences. And when you get to be helped by somebody who you can't even talk to or who looks totally different from you or have this like amazing exchange and connectedness with somebody who has a completely different upbringing than you, you recognize that, you know, people are, I think for the most part, like inherently good. And I, I think that for me has been like one of the most impactful things. Well said. Try and follow that, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really teaches you. Uh, no, um, I'll, I guess I'll try to go big level as well. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with what Amanda said. But I think for me, first thing that comes to my mind, honestly, is that I think, especially like a, a longer term trip like this that we've been talking about, is a really great, like, it teaches you kind of the way to live because life is about enjoying today while also not forgetting that like tomorrow is hopefully going to come. And so I think when you kind of just grow up on the like normal standard conveyor belt, everything's about like the next thing in life, right? Like you go to school and you're like, oh, you got to do good in elementary school. So you can go to middle school. So you can go to high school, get grades in high school. So you can go to get a good university, do good in university. So you can get a good job, work, et cetera. Um, you're never really like thinking about like, hey, let's enjoy today. And when you go on a trip like this, you've got your funds and you've got a time frame, and you've got to say like, hey, what am I going to do today that I really am going to enjoy? And every day you wake up asking yourself, what's going to make me happy today? But you've always got to, 
you know, if you blow a bunch of money, you've got to reckon with that the day after and think like, wow, I just cut like three weeks off my trip on that like random thing I did yesterday. So I think for me, it's been really helpful learning that experience of like, you know, wake up, what's going to make me happy today, um, really enjoy the present moment. Um, well, not like forgetting about tomorrow, but learning to embrace kind of the the time you have. Uh, yeah, I think on a similar note, like, yeah, learning, like learning about yourself as well and having that opportunity is a big part of it. Yeah, I was going to say just um, learning how capable I am of doing things, <laughs> like especially um, traveling solo, like you really just learn to take personal responsibility and like, you know, you have to take care of yourself and obviously crazy stuff happens when you're traveling and you get through it and you figure it out and you, you know, come out the other side stronger. And, and I feel like that's really applicable just to everyday life. It's like, don't sweat things that go wrong. You can figure it out and, and everybody is capable and everybody should travel because that's such a good life lesson to learn that you can, you know, take care of yourself and get yeah. through anything. I think it gives you also, it gives you a great chance to not necessarily reinvent yourself, but to actually like be the person you want to be. And I think that sometimes, you know, like you're saying, you, you kind of get stuck in this rhythm and this rut at home and you kind of like, you're trying to be someone that, you know, you, people think you are or like society thinks you should be in. And I think that it's a great opportunity for people to sort of like, just being somewhere where nobody knows you and nobody knows your history, nobody knows your story, and you can just be who you want to be. And I think for a lot of people, you know, maybe a lot of people who, who, uh, you know, struggling in their current situation, it's a great time. You know, you see people who kind of reinvent themselves after they come back from travel and they have that opportunity to kind of reset. And I think that, you know, whether you're comfortable in your own skin or not, I think it's everyone can learn something from just having being interacting with somebody completely different in a completely different setting and just like being like hey this is this is actually stuff that i want to do this is who i want to be and i think that that's a really good opportunity for like personal growth yeah it should be like the standard coming of age thing in our cultures i feel like like it's Mm -hmm. interesting you know we're from canada us and australia collectively and i think for australia is probably the most like okay, gap year is really standard. Um, But I think, you know, for all of us, like kind of coming of age is going to college or university and getting a degree. And I think that rather than doing that, like young people should go out and experience the world. I think that that should be our like coming of age experience. And obviously, you know, there's, there's privilege that comes with that, but I think it's such an important learning opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, You get to experience difference and you get to like you build your tolerance and understanding and acceptance of, of other cultures and people. And it's like you said, man, earlier, like, you know, you, you learn that everybody is just human. And I think that it's it's the best life lesson that you can take is taking yeah. a trip. Yeah. Compared to college, you, I mean, where college is primarily academics and book smarts, doing a gap year and traveling gets you life skills. It gets you interpersonal skills. It increases your emotional intelligence and most importantly, you learn about finances. And I think that is one of the mm-hmm. biggest gaps in education right now. And mm-hmm. especially for US students, because you Australians and you Canadians have more, much more affordable schooling, uh, whereas many of us come out with six digits of debt. <laughs> I think we would, it would could you benefit imagine, us. Could you imagine a world where everybody had to travel for one year? How much better the world would be? It would, it would. Yeah. You, it, yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's the, there's, some, there's some people you don't want traveling uh. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta hope that people, it can help them yeah. i think yeah, it change yeah. a lot of people for the better and i'm looking at you america <laughs> uh, all right well thank you all for coming on today does anybody have anything else to add any any other insight or no, we're, we're good to go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we covered everything. Yeah, I think we did awesome. too. Yeah, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you all for coming on today. So for those of you listening, Jules and Christine, you can find them at the Not So Bon Voyage podcast and Amanda and Ryan, the World Wanderers podcast. Highly recommend checking out their content, especially if you are looking to get more information in the backpacking world and budget travel world. So I appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you for listening and to Tune in next month.